In this episode of the Ivy Podcast, we talk to serial entrepreneur, corporate advisor, and Ivy thought leader George Swisher, a former ad agency executive who has founded five startups of his own. This expansive conversation covers how to get comfortable in your panic zone, why you should learn to love mistakes, the importance of emotional vulnerability, and more. Hi, welcome to Ivy Podcast. Today we have George Swisher with us in the studio. George, tell us about yourself. Where are you originally from and how did your life path lead you to where you are today? All right, uh, born and raised in Philly. Was there you know, through teenage years. Um, great, great city, very gritty. You know, People get shit done, very worker town, no bullshit, it's great. Moved to Florida to finish school and um, where I started one of my first businesses uh, was in Florida. My family moved there, so really didn't have a choice at the time. And, you know, took the path of trying to go to school and it wasn't really for me. I, I struggled um, in school and I think a lot of people don't realize that not everybody can fit into that mold. Nothing that there's anything wrong with it. I think that people can actually go to school and learn that way. It's, a, it's fantastic. For me, it, I, it was hard. It was very hard for me to learn in very structured ways. So I tried going to school and realized that I can actually learn more by being in the workforce. So I just went out and started working very early on. Um, actually, my first job was at 15. So I've started working, you know, the shit that I wanted to get if I wanted the, a new skateboard or this or that, you know, I basically earned my own money and, and got it. And I think my parents kind of uh, taught us that skill of like, you really need to earn what you want and go after it. And my parents were incredibly supportive. We never had to do anything that was a very specific path. It wasn't like, you have to go to school, you have to go do this, you have to do this. They're like, whatever makes you happy will support you as long as you're doing good things and you're treating people right. And they kind of taught us those things. So I think that kind of helped me be very free in the way that I went to drive my own path. I mean, I controlled my own destiny. So tried school, didn't work, went out into the workforce, um, learned a lot of technical skills. Um, so I was able to play with technology and you know, build computers and write software programs and just kind of learned it on the go by myself. Obviously talking to people and have good mentors, things like that. And uh, you know, over time, just eventually graduated into you know, larger positions at companies. I was very aggressive and wanted to just work my way up and I was very impatient. I didn't want to be told when I could get a promotion. I, was, I wanted to know what it took to get the promotion and I focused more on that and eventually was sitting in a company at one point. Um, I was probably doing more than they were comfortable with when it came to access to customers and revenue. And I never forget the, the owner said, you, I think you should start your own company. And I was like, why not? You know, so at 23-ish, something like that, uh, decided to grab an art director that I was working with and decided to start first company. And that was it. So tell us about the first company that you're speaking about. What do you think was the secret sauce to its success? Uh, well, I personally believe there is any secret sauce. So I think that should be the theme of everything we talk about. You know, at that time, I was so young and I didn't, there were so many things I didn't know about life and people and how to handle uh, tough situations and stress. I mean, it's a huge part of starting a business is managing stress, like knowing how to deal with it. And, you know, I just, I remember we just worked our asses off. I mean, if there's any one thing, it was, you know, when I got up in the morning, it was like 7 a.m. And everyone who knows me personally, like, I'm not a morning person at all. <laughs> so getting up at seven, unless it's surfing, is not something I want to be doing. I think we just busted our asses. And in 
from 7 a.m. until the time I was going to bed at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and I was up the next morning. I did that every single day for a couple years. And we, we were able to move quickly through things because we worked really hard. Um, but we also learned kind of like where the inefficiencies were. So I think really it's kind of those two things. It was like we just tried a bunch of shit. We worked so, so hard and so long that we were able to, to cram probably four years of work into you know, two years or so of work. And we weren't afraid to try things. We were, we were young. You're, they say young and dumb for a reason. Like you're, you're willing to try things, but I think it also makes you innovative. And we were able to do some really cool stuff. And we were able to create efficiencies. Like we saw where if we didn't like something the way it was working, we just changed it. And so we weren't afraid to do that. We weren't stuck into the everyday processes that you're supposed to do things. And so if we saw a software we were using that was supposed to help us do something, we didn't like it, we, we wrote our own. <clears throat> if we didn't like the way that you know, we were dealing with a customer and we went to change it, we changed it. So I think that gave us the ability to always have that flexibility and we just became very known for that. And I think those two things, like that probably was the, the reason we were able to just go quickly and just make a bunch of noise. And um, you know, within a very short period of time, I say five years, we were to build a pretty, pretty big company. So I think that, that from that first experience, if I were to look back on it now, that's what it took. You know, it, it wasn't, and we were smart and we, we knew the skills and you know, for this time it was an advertising agency. So we, we, we knew the, the trade things as much as we had experience in, but I think just not being afraid and just like trying stuff and working our asses off and finding ways to always have efficiencies, those things really enabled us to be very competitive and we became known for that. I think that attracted a lot of people to us so we didn't have to do a lot of marketing. And I would say the, the other thing I will add actually to it is that we knew how to treat people. So um, in a lot of industries, there, there are people who um, are suppliers and the customers, right? And a lot of times they don't always treat each other the best way, especially customers to vendors. And we learned early on that the vendors that were in that industry were really treated like shit. And so we treat them really well. And by doing that, we, we got a really great reputation for taking care of them. So anytime that they heard something was wrong with another competitor of ours for the client, guess who they called? They called me, right? Because they're like, hey, so-and-so is really unhappy. We want to make sure we connect you with them because we treated them right. We paid them on time. We you know, held events for them. We treated them like customers. And I think that rule of just like really paying attention to how you treat people and our staff, I think, was the same way. I, there's people I met 10 years later. And I'm like, why did you stay there and work with us? We were fucking nuts. We were running around like crazy, but we were doing cool stuff. And they're like, you treated us right. We believed in you. We knew you were crazy um, and you weren't the most, you know, the easiest to get along with all the time, but they knew that like we cared about them. We took care of them. And that, that became also, I think, another thing that attracted people to want to work with us in general. And I think, so I think it's a lot of those pieces now that create a kind of like a foundation as I go in and work with other businesses or what I'm doing now, that, that kind of created that kind of I look at it now and know that, but in the beginning, I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know it was those three things until now when I look back at it. Very, very long-winded, sorry. No, that was great. That was great. Thank you for that insight. Um, so you, you speak about this first, you know, understanding what is not your vision, but rather your dream for the company. Clearly, this is a very individual concept. Um, and now knowing this, would you advise entrepreneurs to have a co-founder or 
something on their own? Or would you rather try to establish two co-founder roles in advance? One is a CEO dreamer. The other is the finance operations. Um, Can you elaborate a little bit more about this? I think I would rephrase it, which is it's not what is the dream of the company? So and, and, and so to me, it doesn't matter if there's, there's 10 people involved in the creation of something. Ultimately, it's going to have to be a collective of all of them or no one's going to be motivated, right? So it, it, it inevitably has to be that. What, what I'm referring to is that you as a, an entrepreneur, whether you're part of many or you're one, you have a dream that you want, right? And it isn't always about the collective. The collective is the business you're gonna to put together and you're gonna focus on a mission per se of the company, what the dream of the company is, the problem you're solving in the market, like every bullshit line you have to deal with right now, right? What's the pain in the market? How are you solving it, right? You're gonna to have to do that and, and you're gonna have to do that from a, what is the dream we're trying to accomplish? But ultimately, I still think you as an individual entrepreneur by yourself or with other people, you have to be living the dream you want to live and you need to know what it is. And it's not to create a collective company. It's not your company. That's, that should be the reality. Like the company is the vehicle to do the dream what you want. And I think you have to know what that is. And everybody has a different view of that. So if I was sitting, I remember sitting with a group actually, uh, four founders, they all wanted something totally different for themselves individually, but they had a great company. The company had a great story, but if they were gonna do something and, and they want to sell the company, they all needed something different. And that completely drove the way that the company was looking at buyers, the way of the existing uh, partners, what their roles were gonna be in the new organization. So <clears throat> I just wanna make sure that's clear that it's more about like, what do you want? And if, if you, you have to figure out how do you align that with your partners? And then, and then I think, yeah, the, the, the business itself, to answer your question directly, I think it's not about do you need partners or not? I, I think the reality is, like for me, I, in my current state, I'm the majority owner of the company, but I brought in some partners who I knew would help me achieve the things that I wasn't gonna be able to do by myself. So, so I think whether that being a sounding board, as I see as a partner group, like I actually established a board of advisors and I gave 5% of my company to that board of advisors. And the, the idea was it's a group of people who can leverage relationships for me, who are a sounding board. When I'm ready to pull my fucking hair out, I'm just like, I can't take this anymore. I'm able to get on the phone with them and they, they calm me down. You know, they get me back into a good state because running a business is hard, right? And so they become my professional therapist. They become you know, my sounding board. They become people who can leverage relationships. So to me, it was worth it to put a team like that in place with a very minimal commitment of them and a minimal commitment of me. I didn't have to give up half the company, right? I give up a very small piece. And then I brought in investors, right? And I brought in strategic investors. So I treat them all like partners. To me, that's whether they own 1% or 50% doesn't matter. So I still work very collectively, but since I'm the driving force, we are realizing the dream that I want to dream, right? If you have actual operating partners, which is different, um, where there's two of you or three of you, it's about figuring out what's the skill that you have and, and what's the dream you've, you have come up with for yourself and what's the dream of the business you want to create and who do you need to realize it? You know, we, you can't do everything, right? And money doesn't solve everything. Um, you need good people around you. So you have to make those decisions of, do I actually need a co-founder, right? In some instances you need it in order, to, if you say, hey, I'm gonna go raise money. If you have one skill, 
and the investment groups are looking for two or three skills, you have no choice but to put those in place. If it's not your own money, right? Or if you don't have revenue that allows you to hire employees that are compensated employees to fill those voids. So I think you kind of have to look at what am I doing? Am I starting up a company from scratch? Am I self-funding it? Can I actually hire the people that can backfill what I don't know or do the service offerings that I can't do? Or it's not my money, it's somebody else's money, which means I'm gonna need to bring in some other people from the early stages to realize what it is we wanna do. Um, and I think that that is probably, um, I never, I didn't always look at it that way, and I think I've learned to look at it that way. Where in the beginning, <laughs> especially when you're younger, you're invincible, right? You think you can do everything, you think you know everything. Um, I was definitely one of those people. I mean, you know, the names I was probably called was, you know, very in sync with being a know-it-all, right? And now I, you know, at then I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and now I realize that there's a whole lot of shit I don't know. I don't, I don't you know, act like I know it, but my job is to figure out who can help me know it, right? And put those team people together. And I think that is a good founder CEO, right? And it doesn't always mean that a founder has to be a CEO. So I think <clears throat> you have that role. And then sometimes a founder is just you know, providing the value of a very specific skill, right? And that skill could be technology, it could be marketing, it could be create, it could be whatever you know you need it to be with what you're doing. But I think it's just taking that step back and realizing, can you do it on your own? If you do it on your own as the core dreamer, right? What else do you need to supplement and, and do the things that you're not good at doing? And you either can hire them or you partner them. And and I think that that combination is gonna allow you to be nimble and move and and you're gonna get help. Right? I think that's the reason I put a, a board of advisors in place. I, it was one of the best moves I've ever done. I, I, it's the first business I've actually done it uh, for myself that I've been the core owner in is having that team. And it, it was probably one of the best moves I've made with starting this company because they have just been so helpful um, in so many ways that I never would have seen some of the, I was just so blinded sometimes. Um, even though I have a lot of experience, I still am blinded. So I think that's probably the lesson is no matter how much shit you've been through and how long you've been doing it, you don't know everything, right? You're gonna get blinders because stress is gonna set in. You need somebody at least to help you, at least from like an advisor perspective. However you compensate them is your, your way, but I think that that's, that's important. I think sometimes we have this public perception about being a founder and that it's all glamour and excitement and that you automatically get paid a CEO type of salary. Um, in reality, what type of salary were you making the first few years as a startup CEO and founder? Yeah, I think uh, that's a really great question. If I think about it, in every startup, any company that I was the majority owner or at least an equal owner of the business, so minority doesn't really count because you're, you're, you're one tool inside of the, well, you're one cog in there, right? At least the first year I didn't take a salary, if not two, the first two years, including the current company. First two years, I didn't take any money out of the company. Uh, and I, you know, it depends on the liberty that you get to do that. And, but even my first company, I mean, you know, I live off pennies, you know, like I, I was scraping by and I think you shouldn't have expectations to make money. You sh your expectation should be, you're going to do what it takes to earn the money that you want, especially in the first year to two years. So I, I think so revenue drives that and then funding drives that. So you talk about different kinds of businesses where you know, funding is a little bit different and you get allotments to be able to set a salary, right? And anybody can look it up. I mean, for the most part, a startup is usually around 100 grand a year. No matter where you are in the country, it's 
kind of the, 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 the magic number, 100, 120, whatever, some, somewhere in that range. And I think starting out that way is, is actually not, the, unless you need that to live, which some people do, but I think when you starve for a little bit, you make decisions very differently than when you are fully funded. And I think that's just my overall belief system when it comes to funding. I kind of believe that you should start things on your own um, and get to a state, even if it's a hobby on the side, to figure out what something is, then go get funding because you're in a better position of really earning it is the kind of way I look at it. I just think it's good for you because you, you make decisions not it's like if mom and dad were giving you a bank card and you can go party your ass off and know they're gonna fill it back up, what are you gonna do? Yeah. You're, gonna, you're gonna make different choices where if you don't, if that isn't there and you know you have to go work at the local diner or a movie theater or whatever it is to earn enough money to do whatever you wanna do, you're gonna spend that money way different, right? And a business is no, is no different than that, is that you have to look at it and say, how do I allocate these monies to do what I wanna do and accelerate? Ultimately, people need to make sure that they're, they're not draining themselves financially on a personal level where they're distracted. But I think starving a little bit helps you make better decisions and, and run a little bit of a tighter ship. And I think that goes a long way. When you start bringing in partners or when you start adding client revenues or you start bringing in you know, funding partners, they see that, they see that you can actually be, I said earlier, like very capital efficient. They can see you know how to spend money and not waste it. Um, and that goes really far with investors. So I think, to, and then I think it dovetails into the founder question is, and it will, we'll separate it, tech founders, right? That, that's where all of the, it is the new like being a rock star, right? Or, or, or being a musician or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's that new era. I think the reality is, you, you know, coming up with an idea and going and getting somebody else's money, they're gonna give a shit about how you spend that money. And so the more you're efficient with it, 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 it it's gonna change the success you're gonna have with those investors, which is gonna allow you to go further than you probably planned, right? Or if it, this business doesn't do well and you get another, you go after another business and, and, and go back to the same investors, if you spent the money properly and just didn't prove out well, they're not gonna look bad at you, but they saw you were blowing money and you're paying yourselves 200 grand a year in the first stages, but you weren't hiring a marketing person and you weren't allocating the monies to actually grow the business, it's gonna look really bad on you. And I think that to me should be the mindset. And I think founder is a funny word. I think actually it should be a, a title about this long that says janitor, accountant, marketing person, technologist. It, it's not sexy. I think, you know, y yes, um, if you're, you know, the, the original founders of Google and Snapchat and all these other anomalies that don't really take place, that's a great title, but I can put in front of probably 100 founders, and my guess is 90% of them will say, being a founder kind of sucks half the time because you are the one that takes all the risk. You're the one that's doing all the shit. If I walk by and the trash can is full and I can't convince my employee to take the trash out, guess who takes it out? I take it out, right? Because I don't want it in the office. So, so I think that, that it does not create a position of power. I think that is what most people perceive is that, well, if I'm the founder, I'm the one that makes all the decisions. First of all, you don't make any of the decisions. The market, your employees, the customers, all of that is what's making the decisions. You're just the shepherd, right? And if you can continually shepherd it, great. But if you have this ego that you're the founder and ultimately you're the one that makes all the decisions by yourself, you're, you're gonna set yourself for failure. And I, and I think it's not, it's not intended to be sexy. It's intended to be, you're the one with the initial spark. 
and how do you inspire everyone to know what that spark is and how do you motivate them to do the things you want them to do and how do you get through the fucking trenches with them when stuff's really hard and someone's really frustrated and, sh and shit's breaking, which happens especially in technology every single day, right? That, to me, is what a founder should be doing and how they should be thinking, not I need this salary, I'm gonna be the poster child that's gonna be in the media, you guys take care of this. Like That mentality is, uh, I think, is what a lot of people perceive it to be and I think it's a shame. I think it's really a shame. So you spoke a bit about advisors. Um, tell us a story of when someone made all the difference in your career journey. Was that an advisor? I think I should give you two because one was when I was an employee and when I, before I even got into doing bit, you know, doing my own stuff. And then I think I, I can definitely do one when I was my own boss and <clears throat> getting people to help. I remember I was working for a company. I won't say which company it was. Um, and I was, you know, 19, 20, something like that. And I was an employee and, you know, I felt like I was smart and I was doing, you know, things that were, were trying to stand out so my bosses noticed. And I got really lucky where the general manager of the company who also sat next to the owner of the company. Uh, at this time, probably a hundred million dollar company, so not, not a small company. And um, I got lucky where um, they, I would go and ask them questions. So as I would walk around the hallway, I'd kind of poke my head. I'm like, hey, can I ask you a question real quick? And they went up mentoring me and they taught me business. So they just taught me the fundamentals of how a business works. At this time, I was doing like customer service analysis and databases, like stuff that wasn't anything related to what they were doing, uh, especially running the companies. But they just gave me an opportunity because I was very curious. And I think most people that were young and they're in their jobs and they're going, I have this idea and I'd love to start it. Finding a mentor that can teach you how business works, uh, just the fundamentals of it, is far better than trying to pick up in school. And again, not that I'm against school because there's some people that that's where they are, but I think the actual real knowledge that a business owner or someone who's in a very senior position can teach you just the fundamentals. And those fundamentals become such a framework. And I, I'll never forget these, these two people because they gave me their time and it was completely invaluable. Um, I, you know, again, I was nine, 18, 19, 20, something like that. And, and I, I, I remember their faces, I remember some of the conversations we had and that they just gave me their time. So I personally, and this is what I make sure that I do, is if someone ever asks, was like, need, my help or question, I always will take the time because that's what gave me my start. If anyone ever asked me like how to get started, it was that. Like I sat with these guys, they gave me the time over the course of a year working for them. I learned so much. Everything I did kind of laddered off of that. It, it, beca it became that piece of like, holy shit, business and understanding how it works and the fundamentals. It didn't matter if I wanted to be, you know, a, a rock star, a garbage man, uh, you know, it didn't matter what I wanted to do. If I understood that this thing, it applied to all of them. And that's where I just spent my energy, my time is, is being really good at that. And they also taught me of relationships, right? And again, you know, I, I definitely have made my mistakes of how I've handled situations or people. And, and that's just part of growing. You learn how to do that with managing people. And, but I think they, they, if, if you can understand how business works and you're really great at nurturing relationships, those two things combined make you almost irreplaceable no matter what job you're in. <clears throat> it doesn't matter, again, if you're the intern, if you can understand the fundamentals of how that business is actually running, how money's coming in, how it's going out, 
what they make, how they make it, basic, basic stuff. Um, and you're really good at relationships, right? You can meet new people, you can nurture them, you can help people when they need help, you can be there, you become irreplaceable, right? And I think that was so important that I learned so early on and it just, it became the staple. I think that was like the, again, not that you handle every situation perfect, but I always knew that those were the things I needed to pay attention to the most. Um, that's where the power was, right? We have to go back to power, like that's where the power was, was those two things. So I think for, the, for young people who are trying to do something and start something from a job, find a good mentor. Find someone who's willing to teach you business. Most of the time that business person, I don't mean like a, just a CFO, I'm talking like someone like a business owner or in a position like the president of the company who's responsible for marketing, sales, product, people, like knows all the pieces that make it up. That to me will be your, your lifeline forever, forever. I think from a, from a pure business play and being a founder or, or being an owner or you know, being a, um, a consultant with people, you know, I think, I, I, I still feel that the advisory team I put in place, that the way that, how they interact with me as the founder, janitor slash whatever else, like how they interact with me, they're, they're able to help me see things that I can't see. And I think when you have managers, or you have directors, you have people who point to you, you have partners, their interest is very different. They usually have their own interests first, and then the interests of the business, and then the interests of you. And so if you're, if you're struggling with something, or you have an idea, or you're trying to figure something out, it goes through those filters. Having a group that's outside of that, where ultimately they want to see the success, but they have such a small stake that they care more about how, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and to be able to aid in that. And, and so I think there isn't any specific advice that's like, this is the thing. I think just having that mentor group for me, that's the way that I look at them. <clears throat> I don't look at them as, I, I treat them as if they're partners in the business, even though they only have a small stake. I treat them no differently than how I treat myself. So if I issue distributions, they get them. Like everything is the same, right? But how they can be an outside voice for me is, probably one of the best pieces of advice that I've, I got and I put in place and I actually get from them. I, I would say that that is probably fundamental going forward and everything else. What was your darkest hour, meaning the most frightening moment for you as an entrepreneur? I mean, that's like almost every day. Um, <laughs> frightening moment. Uh, I would say there was a time that was early on <clears throat> I did not pay enough attention to the people I was going into business with. And I spent a lot of time looking at the deal, trying to sell something through that was probably not as good as I wanted it to be and made it out to be. And I didn't really understand them. And I, and I remember a moment when we decided to break up, right? And I, my identity was wrapped into this business because I was young at the time. And so, you know, the downside of becoming known in a industry or a market for something is it, it does go to your, it can go to your head very easily. <clears throat> and, and what it, to me, what it did is it, I attached my identity to that. So it wasn't, you know, George, the kid from Philly who likes to surf and like, it wasn't that it was like George, the guy that has this company. And that was my identity. And I remember the moment 
when we realized that I did not do enough due diligence and I didn't want to, I didn't like working with them. We, we just solved things very differently and I didn't spend the time in the earlier stages to know that. So it was too late. I was already in. It was like breaking up with the love of your life because I had already built a business that I was merging with somebody else. I was emotionally attached to it. It was my identity. And I remember just, I took eight months, almost eight months off to just figure out what the fuck just happened and like, who am I? And I never, I didn't realize how much my identity was tied to my business. And so now it's a very clear line. Um, <clears throat> afterwards, I went back and talked to some employees and people maybe two years after that moment. And I went out and had like a drink with them or I had dinner with them and I was more myself. And they're like, you're so different. Like in the office, you're this and we didn't realize you were this, like, why didn't this person come out? And it was that moment where I was like, oh shit, like, I, this was, I was suppressing who I was and that was what people really wanted to believe in and be a part of. And I thought it was this great business and my identity was that business and when it kind of fell apart, um, in my eyes it fell apart and I think on paper and what it gets perceived as different, but, but in my mind it fell apart and uh, it was really heartbreaking. And I just, I didn't know how to deal with it. And it took me a long time to realize like, you have to be yourself and the business floats around you. <laughs> it is not the other way around. You don't float inside the business. And that was a really scary moment because I didn't know what the hell I was gonna do. I was like, I didn't know where I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of another business or work for somebody. I did yeah, I think it was probably the moment that I was very, very lost because here I was, I was 30 at the time, <clears throat> killed myself for five, six years, built a pretty notable business, became known as someone who was doing cool shit, and I was really unhappy. And I, because I didn't realize my identity was like attached to this thing, <clears throat> it was scary. It was really scary. Would you define yourself as a more analytical or intuitive-based thinker? It definitely has changed. Um, where. I think what's most important is to be able to balance the two of them. And, and I think it's really hard to do. I think instinctively my, I call it like the robot side, the robot side can kick in and look at things very linear, even though they might be intertwined and, and throughout, but, but the, <clears throat> the view of it is very linear. And it's not thinking about the, um, the intuition. And, and so I think, what I used to do is lead with, what did I think about it? And then how do I feel about it? And it's a good example of that, that story about my darkest moments is I led it that way. <clears throat> and I didn't, listen, I didn't listen to any of these things. I didn't feel good about it. There's a lot of things I, I felt, but I didn't act on them. And now it's totally the opposite. So an example is I've met people recently who want to do business. And I got to know them a little bit and realized very quickly that I had no desire to work with those people. It didn't matter how big the deal was. It didn't matter what it was gonna do for our business. It didn't feel right. And I think I've learned to trust my, more of my intuition, my gut. I just say, just loosen up and say my gut. You know as a person when you sit with somebody and you hear something or you see something, you can sense and you're, you tense up or you become relaxed, like you have a feeling I think listening to that in the instant it happens and trust that first before you analyze because, and actually I got a great piece of advice 
from, uh, from someone is that the minute you analyze and compromise, or the minute you analyze what your gut feeling is, you've now compromised what it was. And, and, I, and I, it took me a while to understand that. And so the, so the idea is if, like, if, if I feel very hesitant to be around somebody to do business with them, no matter how great the contract is, no matter how big the deal is, at some point, this is gonna come back up. And you don't know when it's gonna come back up. And the reality is <clears throat> by, by me not listening to this and going straight to this, I've compromised this and eventually it comes back. You don't, again, you don't know when, how, what um, is the reality. That's the thing I've learned over time is that if I go back and look at the people who I shouldn't have been doing business with or even just people I shouldn't have been around in general as a person, um, a lot of times my intuition, my gut was like, eh, but they have this, this, and this, or ah, but I kind of like this, this, and this, let me just see. And, and I've actually spent the last, um, two years retraining myself on that um, with a really amazing therapist. The other thing, if anybody who's a business owner, you should definitely have a therapist because they help you dramatically um, deal with yourself because <clears throat> we can self-implode. But I think learning to like trust your gut first before you start analyzing or using the analytical side to overpower that gut, I think is completely wrong. There's a reason that you're hesitant and listen to that. Just take a step back um, and, and figure out why you feel that and make sure that's aligned with the values of what you want to do. So I definitely have changed that thinking um, and it's put me in some shitty situations by not doing it that way. And now I feel better. Like I go to bed every night, I might be stressed, but like I feel good. Like I don't wake up going, oh shit, I shouldn't have done that with this person. And it, you know, you, there's so many variables you can't control when it comes to people. And so to think that a contract or deal terms or your idea is going to control them, you're fooling yourself. At the end of the day, you, you feel something when you interact with people and, or when you do something, it's like, wow, this feels amazing to do this. We, I really hate doing this. Well, why, why are you doing the thing you hate? You're compromising the thing that you love to do. So do the thing you love to do and figure out how somebody else can do that. Right? So I, I would say long story short, the, the reality is trust your gut first and then apply the thinking afterwards. That, that's, I think, gonna steer you in the direction of what you authentically and, and organically wanna be doing, and that path is way simpler than the other path. I think that's what it comes down to, and I think as you get older in life and become more experienced in business and life in general, like you start simplifying shit, and this to me is like, we all have a, that, chemical balance in us that creates that weird feeling in your stomach when it doesn't feel right, that's there for a reason. Lead with that and the rest of the path will be simpler. That's, that's just the reality. Great. Well, on that note, what role do you think emotional intelligence plays in being an excellent CEO and a leader? I think emotional intelligence has be become a very topical thing, um, which means it's starting to get overanalyzed which is the opposite to me of what it's supposed to be. Um, so so I'm, I'm gonna talk about it not in the public defined view in the media of how they look at it or how it's categorized. I think knowing what, <clears throat> understanding what other people feel, so let's just base it around feelings. If you can understand how other people feel about something and how you feel about it, and can you align your interest, you're gonna be incredibly successful with that relationship. 
And, and that to me doesn't matter if it's a CEO, if it's a manager, if it's two peer employees, it doesn't matter. At the, at the end of the day, if I can sit in a room and understand what you're feeling about something and see how I feel about it and where is the common denominator or is there not a common denominator, we either are gonna you know, continue in a path, if we force it, it's gonna break. Some, something's gonna compromise. <clears throat> so I feel like allowing yourself to understand emotions as a part of something, which is really someone else's feelings, probably is 75% of the battle of making decisions, right? Because if I can sit down and use the employee and you're not motivated, and I can understand how you're feeling, I can empathize with what, and you get like these big words, right? Like empathy is a big ass word and it's really hard to feel the thing that somebody else is feeling. Like if you don't have experience in it, you don't know how to do that. So if you, you can figure out how to be empathetic, um, you can emotionally understand somebody else. And I think that to me is what emotional intelligence should be. How do you understand the other people that you're surrounding yourself with or you're managing or you're leading or you're whatever? Like how do you understand that and take it into account when you're making your choices and making sure it's, you know, is it aligned to what you wanna do or not? And I think that becomes um, such a good filtering system, you know, where if you're around a bunch of people who emotionally you can't connect, you're not gonna, I don't think you're gonna be successful in the long term. In the short term you might be able to, but in the long term, it's probably not gonna work out, right? Um, if you can emotionally connect without it being, you know, um, something that's inappropriate or something that's, that's, you know, completely misaligned with what you're trying to accomplish, like obviously those things come into play. But if we just take basic skill, like, yeah, I think it's a critical part of of anybody to be successful. I don't even think it's just CEOs. I think if, if you're a young person who is, you know, trying to work your way up the ranks, understanding business, understanding the relationships, and then knowing how to emotionally be empathetic to allow that to be a part of your decision-making with other people, like, I'd hire that person, whether they had the skills or not to do the job, I'd hire them, because that that is such a, an, I don't want to say it's untrainable, but it's really hard to find people who think that way. And I think it's just about opening up um, and being vulnerable a little bit and be like, ah, you know what, that really sucks. I'm sorry that you felt that. I understand how you felt. If I was in that situation, yeah, I would feel the same way. How do we course correct this? Like, it's, it's just that basic kind of human side to it that people are so politically afraid of at this point. And I think it's just stupid. Like. There's, there's just so many things that get taken advantage of and we can't, to me what the media has done with emotional intelligence is it's allowed people to be fearful of it more than promote it. And I'd like to see that change a little bit. And how would you change that conversation? Sometimes, I think policies are important in a lot of companies. <clears throat> it's usually to cover the company's ass, which I think is a shame because it doesn't breed people to connect and actually innovate things and think freely and so if i was ever going to stand up and promote it which it's not something that i'm passionate about promoting but if, if i was to promote it i think it's just let people be a little bit freer like just lighten up a little bit like just lighten up a little bit yes there are people doing inappropriate shit, but 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 that's that's an anomaly that's not the majority of people right L let's focus on the people who aren't doing that and let's celebrate them and how are they actually thinking freely and being free with their emotions and it's okay if someone's upset in a meeting like 
who gives a shit that it's a business meeting? At the end of the day, if you're upset, you're upset. It doesn't matter, you're a human being, right? So I think if we can just go back to like, let people be humans, they're gonna make mistakes. Hopefully it's not inappropriate. Um, as long as it's appropriate, it's okay. And we should be able to allow that to happen. And I think when you do that, it's like any relationship. If you think about, you know, two people dating or being married or like the more emotionally vulnerable you are, like the better it gets. Like that's, that's not, you know, that's not statistics. That's just like science. Like it's just part of like what makes it better, you know? So I'd like to see us to me, people go back in that direction. Like we're human beings. We have emotions, allow people to kind of express them and use them in ways that allow people to get closer. And that is going to breed excellence all day long. Um, in my opinion. How has the power of community impacted your life as an entrepreneur? I mean, I think that that has been the common theme here is like, I used to not think that way because I, I can be a very solitude person. <clears throat> and sometimes I get my best thinking done that way because I don't like too many distractions. I take a 20 to 30 minute steam shower every single morning uh, by myself. It's so great for you, but I get the best thinking done because I can just have a little bit of solitude and 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 be able to, and I need that. Like I know I learned my, for myself, like I need that. But what I also know that I need that is equally important is people around me. And as much as you know, the moments where I'm just like, shit, I can't deal with this or I'm so frustrated. The minute that I decide to not go into solitude and talk to somebody who's in that trusted circle. <clears throat> and I got a great piece of advice recently. It's like, Community is, I think people misunderstand what that means. And it doesn't mean you can share everything with everybody. And I think a lot of people, and I've made some of those mistakes myself, is that it's kind of like a house, right? And you have a picket fence around the house. And you have to figure out within your community of people who is inside the fence and who's outside the fence. Obviously, people inside the, fa inside the fence can come in your house. They're the safe ones. And who's not? And I think I've learned who is inside that fence that I can lean on as my core community, that I can speak very freely, I will not be judged, I can trust them with my feelings, I can trust them with things, you know, in my home or, you know, whatever that, that is. And there are people who are not. There are people who I can garner information from, but, I, but they're, I'm not, they're not a trusted source yet, right? So I think community is incredibly important when you learn how to use it the right way. And I think for me, before I learned this, this um, new way of thinking, um, I used to just be very open and free. And my community was kind of like everyone I was acquaintance with. And I hurt a lot of people's feelings that way. And my feelings are hurt a lot of times that way. And it definitely impacted my personal life and my business. So I think you have to learn how to use, use the wrong word, I think you have to learn how to nurture the community the way that it makes sense for you. And I think having people around you who you can trust <clears throat> to, to give you some support or to give you some ideas or to, or for you to help. Like, let's not forget that. Like being a part of the community is not one way, right? It's two ways. So, you know, most of the people who are in that circle, that inner circle of mine, like they know they can call me any minute of the day and I will give them my time because I know that they need it. And, and they do the same thing for me. So I think it's just more like that fundamental understanding of like, we all need somebody to help and somebody also needs us to help, right? If you can have that two-way piece, know who's in the inner circle, know who's out, so you don't use it the wrong way. 
I think is essential for my future, 100%, 100% because it just it breeds such a different um, collective way of, of working and thinking and living and, and that you can't do that without a community. I, I don't see how you could. So solitude is important for a lot of people who are crazy and wanting to do to be an entrepreneur and you need to have a little bit of craziness to do it. Uh, so you need some solitude, but um, I definitely have done less solitude over the years and more le le leaning on and living with a community of people both ways. And I'm the first person to always say, how can I help you? And, and, and I think that gets reciprocated so much whenever I do need it. And I never had that kind of my life probably before like the last five years. And how exactly do you find that inside community? Are those friends of friends? Is that events, dinners that you go to? To me, what is 100% native to the way that I live, so I think everybody lives differently, is I'm exposed first. Like anybody can ask me anything and I, I will tell them what I feel, think, or has happened. Like that's just the way that I am. And so when you start selecting through trusted sources, not that that's a bad idea, but I think you potentially can limit yourself. What I think what I've learned is being exposed and open to everybody, but learning what the filters are of what you value. And so what I've learned is, like for me, how someone treats other people is like my first lens. I can look at whether someone is courteous to someone, if they're rude to them. The reality is if they're gonna treat somebody else like that, at some point in your relationship with them, they're gonna treat you that way. That's just my personal belief. I have history of seeing that happen, so I believe it at this point, right? So I think having more of a filter system to what's native to what your values are individually puts you around the people that, are, that believe the same value system that you do, which then breeds the things that you probably wanna manifest. So if I wanna, if I wanna have great friendships or great business relationships, <clears throat> I don't look at it any differently. I look at, it as, is this a person that is respectful of other people? You know, um, Is this a person that I think I could trust, right? And I'm willing to take the risk um, and, and let them chip away at trust and earn trust. So I think I look at it more that way of, there's no, there's no parameter and there's no gates. It's open until you prove me wrong or it proves it's not in what aligns my values. So I'm, I'm way more wide open that way. And I think that that, I think it's helped me meet a lot of really great people. And now I know what the filtering system is and where I put them inside the fence or outside the fence. And now I, I learn and use that system. Um, I'm willing to meet anybody at this point, right? <clears throat> in, in a setting, it doesn't matter if they, if they align with me and I'm like, wow, I had no idea that sitting with this poet was gonna inspire me to actually do blank. If I only worked, if I only went around the people who I was comfortable that would be networks of networks, I may not have met that person. And so I, I kind of break down that barrier a little bit and more just allow myself, and I think people can sense that. Like when you sit down with somebody, if I go sit at a restaurant, I'm waiting for a friend to get there and you know the server comes over, they can tell that I, I think like your energy you put out is like I'm an open person. So like I'll talk to them, I'm like, hey, how are you? Like, it's just more about that, um, that freedom and openness allows people to feel connected and then hopefully they align. You know, if they don't align, then you, know, you figure out where you put them in, in your, your little grid. But I think that's just, it's very personal of you, but to me, I think if more people thought that way, we would have a, um, 
a much wider net <clears throat> of who you're going to meet than if you just keep it into specific circles. And I think people do that out of fear. And I'm not a person who lives out of fear. Like it just instinctively, I was never raised that way. Um, I'm not afraid of anything, right? So I'm willing to throw myself in the middle of a pot and see who I meet and who I don't meet. And if I know how to filter it down, I'm going to meet some cool people. And I think that's kind of more of how I, I encourage people to be. All right. Last question. You've been a friend of Ivy for a very long time, and we are all grateful for your sense of community and your support. Uh, tell us, what do you find most inspiring about Ivy? You know, I, I think when it first started, it was a very, um, it, it, the, the perception, it was a very uh, niche group of like-minded people. <clears throat> and what I think Philip and Barry have done really well I mean, being the, the founders, and, and of course they have partners and people who work with them and investors and all this stuff, is fast forward five-ish years that they've built a community based on people's interest, not their classification, which is really cool to me, right? I think there's such a mixture of people's and interest that's socially aligned, which I think is really smart. And it didn't start that way. So, to, so I've seen it evolve into what it is today. And I think it's really inspiring that they could, they could take an idea that started out as this very specific thing and let the community or let the group of people around them allow it to morph into what it's become, which is this little social power. Like it's really cool. Um, so, and that's not, that's not a promotion thing. It's just like, I actually think it's really cool to, to build what, what has been built over the last couple of years. And, I think for me, being a part of it, and I've always wanted to figure out how to be closer um, and doing talks like this and, and ho hopefully leveraging relationships like I've done for those guys. Like that to me, I've always wanted to get closer and closer. And I think we've, we've, I've always worked more at the founder level with the two of them and spend time with them. And now getting to work with all of you is, is really great. So I, I just think it's cool. And I think that's probably the, the way they've been able to just like, you know, expand this thing in a crazy way. And, and I think people have a great perception of what they get out of the experience, you know? And I think that speaks for itself. You don't have to tell anybody that. It's just like, I love that fear of like, we don't want to tell you, just come, right? And when you, when, and that's what I remember hearing in the very early days is like, we're, we're shifting what it is. Just come experience it and you'll see what it is and make it your own. And like that way of thinking, I think made it to where my guess is out of all the members, probably every one of them think it's something of their own. I, that's my guess. Like, I don't know that, but um, I bet if we went around and asked them, that's probably what they would say. It's like, I've made it my own. Like they've been to find their own little path inside of this um, hodgepodge of things that just somehow seem to make sense. You know, that probably shouldn't make sense. I think that's really cool. That's our show for the week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast. Don't forget, for more information about the Ivy community and to find out about live events happening near you, visit ivy.com. That's I-V-Y.com. See you next time.